Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 190 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and now the Atlanta Hawks uh, have an uphill battle ahead as they as they fell to the Washington Wizards by a 103-99 to score in Game 5 on Wednesday evening. I uh, just got done watching the press conferences and getting a, getting a rewatch in of the game. Uh, this is sort of an agonizing loss for the Hawks. Obviously, they did not play, I wouldn't say, an A-plus game necessarily in this spot, but the Hawks did enough where they would have won this game a lot of the time. They did not get a friendly whistle down the stretch. A lot of Hawks fans upset about that as well as some, uh, some uh, I guess, people uh, ignoring uh, some moving screens during the, at, the end of the, at the end of the game with Marcin Gortat and others, but uh, in the end, this is a four-point loss for the Hawks and uh, an uphill battle moving forward as the Hawks now have to win at home in Game 6 on Friday and then have to go back to Washington and win in a place they have not been able to win. Uh, they are now 0-3, of course, in the series uh, in Washington. So uh, with, all that to, with all that to say, there's a lot to get to from this game. We'll go big picture first. Um, you know, the Hawks finished this game with a 110 defensive rating. I thought uh, defensively in this game, the Hawks were not great. I didn't think they were awful necessarily. There were some spots in which things could have uh, been altered in, in a positive fashion. Uh, the backcourt is always a story for Washington. Those two guys, uh, Bradley Beal and John Wall, finished with 27 points for Beal, 20 for Wall. So 47 points combined, 15 assists combined as John Wall had 14 assists by himself. Um, those two guys were the, be- the best two players for Washington. No surprise there. Um, defensively, the Hawks had some real issues and containing them uh, at various points. It was really Bradley Beal early and John Wall mostly late, um, but uh, that combination is deadly as usual. And, uh, you know, 47 is not, not a crazy number to allow to those guys, but uh, it was not not quite good enough defensively. Also, Otto Porter, Otto Porter had, his, had his, his his best game of the, of, the, of the series offensively with 17 points, got to the line 10 times. Uh, Mike Budenholzer after the game during his press conference uh, sort of uh, danced around the fact, at least this is my, my interpretation, was that Bud uh, was not a thrill with Porter getting the line 10 times and didn't really seem to understand how that happened necessarily. Maybe some, uh, maybe not to the officiating or uh, not going the Hawks' way there, but uh, 17 points on only four field goal attempts uh, and 9 of 10 from the free throw line for Porter. So he had a very efficient game, not necessarily a great game. And also, uh, Boyan McDonavich had his, easily his best game in the series with 14 points on 4 of 7 from the floor and 2 of 3 from 3. He had been a huge negative for Washington in the series. And I think his defense is still quite bad, but Bogdanovich definitely had his best game here. So defensively, on the whole, you know the, the Wizards shooting only five, 45% from the field and 29% from three. That doesn't look too bad, but uh, with when, with all the free throws and the uh, second chances at, at the rim uh, in terms of offensive rebounding with 22% offensive rebound rate, which is not awful again, but uh, they, they were able to take advantage of that and uh, at, the, at the end of the day, allowing 1.1 points per possession is not going to get it done most of the time with the way that the Hawks play offense. Uh, on the offensive end of the, of the floor, Things were reasonable. Again, uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder was fantastic. We'll get to him in a second. But uh, aside from Dennis, the, the shooting was really sort of the, big, the biggest problem in terms of wide-open three-point shooting. Uh, the combination of Paul Millsap, Torian Prince, 
Uh, and Kent Bazemore finished a combined 0 of 11 from three of those three guys. And Tim Hardaway Jr. was only 3 of 10. Uh, 3 of 10 won't just kill you by any means, but um, the other three guys going 0 of 11 is going to murder you a lot of the time. And uh, it's not it's not all of them. It was it was more than just three-point shooting, but that was a huge thing. You know, the Hawks finishing 9 of 31 from three isn't going to get it done. And only 41% from the floor. So there were some issues on that. End of the floor. I, I didn't think, you know, turnover-wise, the Hawks only committed, um, only committed 11. Actually, uh, eight of those were within the first, I believe, seven. 17 or 18 minutes of this game. So down the stretch, the whole the whole second half, they were only they only allowed they only issued three turnovers. That's that's very very effective. That's one of the reasons why the Hawks were able to stay so close in this game offensively. But uh, aside from Schroeder and Paul Millsap, there was not a ton going on offensively that was a uh, of a positive nature in this game. So that you know. That that sort of dichotomy is not it's not a great one for the Hawks. They only got to the line twenty one times. The Hawks actually, you know, they missed seven free throws, but uh, they actually started one of six from the free throw line or one of five at least. So for the rest of the way, they were pretty pretty effective at the line, but those early misses can come back to bite you in a big way. And uh, down the stretch, especially those last three three or four possessions, the Hawks had some makeable shots, some questionable officiating as well. But uh, there you go on that. Uh, early on, uh, I thought it's just sort of breaking down the game, sort of in order here. Um, the Hawks got off to it was just sort of a very very fast pace early on in this game. The Hawks made made five of their first six shots. Both teams were really going very quickly. Dennis Schroeder made his first four three point attempts, um, but also picked up a second foul again in the in the first quarter. Uh, his first foul was a Euro foul in which he tried to stop a fast break, which is fine, but he's got to know that he can't get in foul trouble, and that cost him a couple of minutes in the first quarter of this game. Uh, defensively, though, the Hawks were pretty good. John Wall did not score in the first quarter, which is a, a very encouraging development in general. Uh, Washington would would wake up though to the tune of a 13 to two run in the second quarter that sort of uh, installed them in the lead uh, and they had the lead most of the rest of the way. The Hawks did come back, um, but uh, they, they, come back, they came back to uh, tie it um, with an 11 0 run actually um, in the uh, third quarter and it was led by Tim Hardaway Jr. His best stretch of the of the day by far. I think he had eight of those 11 points or eight of the 13 over that run um, for Tim. So he was very very good there in that small window in the third quarter. That was uh, really most of his co- positive contribution in this game and in the fourth quarter, a couple of uh, just high-key high moments to uh, focus on here. There was a Brandon Jennings flourish early on with a pickpocket that ended up with a run-out layup, and then the next possession was a pretty assist to Bojan Bogdanovich that uh, prompted a timeout from Bud. Um, There's also, they uh, jumps out to me in a big way, a comical stretch um, in the uh, for, early in the fourth quarter right after that where uh, Kelly Oubre went uh, completely unmolested to the rim for a dunk. Uh, Dwight Howard uh, seemed, to be getting, seemed to be confused. I think the broadcast indicated that they thought he got held, but really it was, it was as if, especially on the rewatch, it was as if Dwight was just boxing out Marcin Gortat instead of uh, going and trying to contest a dunk. But it was uh, as wide open of a dunk as you'll ever see in a half court situation. And on the other end of the floor, Dwight committed an offensive foul, and that was a big momentum swing. Not all on him, but uh, it was an ugly stretch there for Dwight for sure. Hawks were down nine at that at that point in time. They did they did score the next six points to get back within three, but from there that was kind of as close as they would get. They did get back within two at one point after uh, a Markeith Morris sort of meltdown. Uh, the Wizards were up by seven at ninety eight to ninety one. Uh, Morris got a technical foul after fouling Paul Millsap on a loose ball. It, it looked as if it was, it was going to be a Dennis Schroeder turnover that would have probably ended the game at that point in time. But a huge swing there to get back within two after a Torian Prince dunk on a fast break. But uh, with uh, the Hawks down four, Paul Millsap missed with thirty eight seconds to go. Um, for some reason, uh, the team did not elect a foul there. Um, just for the math, from math perspective, it, it, it doesn't seem that crazy until, until you break it down. But uh, you know, down four with 38 seconds to go, and Washington with the ball with a full shot clock rundown. Uh, the you know the Hawks the best case scenario there 
would be getting the ball back down by four points with you know 14, 15 seconds left, and that's that's a really bad situation. I think the play there is pretty obviously to foul as soon as Millsap comes up empty with 38 seconds to go uh, to try to extend the game there. I understand that uh, you don't want to give points away, but uh, down four with 14, 15 seconds left is a very, very tenuous spot for any team, especially one that has uh, go-to guards like Washington does. Doesn't really have that obvious uh, way to uh, prevent them from scoring at the free throw line. So I would have liked to see them foul. I think, I think in retrospect, I would like to see that that, that, that happen. And I wonder if Bud um, would uh, agree with that in retrospect. But uh, we'll never know uh, at this point in time. But uh, that was a huge, uh, I, th- I thought, pretty pretty significant error. You know, the Hawks are still huge underdogs there. If they foul um, down four with somebody going to the line with 30 seconds to go, 38 seconds to go, you're still a pretty big underdog, obviously. But I think it would have probably upped your win, expect- your win expectancy just up a little bit. Um, still, it's sort of a nitpick in a situation that probably would not have mattered, but it's just sort of a process thing that's worth getting out there. Um, and of course, down the stretch, I thought Paul Millsap was very, very mad. In fact, Mike Conti of the Hawks Radio Network in 1999, the game here in Atlanta, referenced that Paul was uh, belligerent with the officiating after the after the final whistle. He was very upset with a couple of non calls in the final minute. Uh, and Bud, uh, after the game with, at the press conference again, uh, very very judiciously uh, talked about um, Paul getting to the rim. That's kind of what the Hawks wanted down the stretch. But Paul was unable to score and unable to draw the whistle that uh, I think he probably deserved at least one of those two. So, uh, sort of an unlucky thing down the stretch there but in turn I, I do think Washington was the better team in this game it was closer than I thought it would be to be honest uh, just the, with the way that I thought it was going to be coming in the Hawks actually covered the spread if people care about that which they probably don't but the Hawks were six point underdogs uh, when this game began they lost by only four and that kind of is an indication that the Hawks played better than people would expect them to but uh, in the end this is a playoff game and uh, you're judged by wins and losses and the Hawks did not get the win in this spot uh, before we get to the player evaluations that we would normally do here I do want to talk to you about the good folks at SeatGeek the NBA playoffs are here, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person during the postseason. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, the club seats, or the upper level. I have SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere with just a few taps on my iPhone screen. I can instantly find the seats that I want for this weekend or any game the rest of the way. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek is price comparing for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you want to shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. SeatGeek also, also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every single ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll, you'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to fit the best deals to fit into your budget. Plus, every single ticket you buy, you buy on SeatGeek is backed by, by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. In order to get a $20 rebate on tickets, you need to download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, today. Thanks again to SeatGeek for sponsoring the show, and uh, that'll be the best way probably to get tickets for Game 6 as we uh, return to Atlanta on Friday. I'll be in the building for that game, and that's probably the best way to do that if you are a Hawks fan that wants to see uh, what could be the final game of the season at Phillips Arena. Um, with all that said, uh, some player stuff to get to here. We'll leave with the positive. Dennis Schroeder, uh, 29 points and 11 assists for Dennis in the game. I thought Dennis was, once again, very, very good here. You know, the shooting was probably unsustainable. He was 10 of 18 from the floor, 5 of 6 from, the, from, three, from 3, and 4 of 5 from the line. 
I don't think you're going to see many games where Dennis makes five of his six, uh, five of his six three-point attempts, even even when he's wide open. But uh, listen, Schroeder was once again awesome, and I think um, he's not been the best player in this series for the Hawks. That's that's an honor that goes to Paul Millsap by a pretty significant margin, I would say. But I, you definitely could not have expected anything better from Schroeder over a five-game sample than what he's done in this series. It's actually very encouraging for the future, I would argue. Uh, I'm not the biggest guy in terms of overreacting to uh, playoffs in terms of uh, looking forward because, it's, again, it's, it's only a five-game sample. But Dennis has been very, very good in this series, holding his own, doing what he can do, on uh, really on both ends, but especially offensively. And he was great in this game with a double-double, in fact. It was the first Hawks player, this is according to Elias Sports Bureau, uh, Hawks, the first Hawks player with 25 points and 10 assists or more in a playoff game since Pistol Pete Maravich in 1973. Uh, that's a long, long time. If you look back uh, at a lot of these Hawks playoff teams of uh, the recent past, have included the best players being either on the wing or on the front court. So not a huge surprise in giving the assist number, but still uh, Dennis sort of indication of just how well he's been playing and that uh, he was fantastic here in Game 5. Uh, elsewhere, Paul Millsap, 21 points, 11 rebounds. I didn't think Paul was you know as good, obviously, as he was in the last couple of games, but uh, still a pretty good performance here from Millsap in general. Defensively, he was very good as usual. Uh, only 8 of 19 from the floor, though, and 0 of 3 from 3, so a little bit more efficiency you would want to see from Paul. But uh, in general, you know, the last couple plays of the game uh, were unfortunate that he wasn't able to get a call and uh, sort of a typical Paul Millsap performance in that way. Actually, uh, during the game, I was arguing that I thought Paul has actually gotten a pretty friendly whistle by his uh, – by his standards in the recent past, but that sort of all, all went out the window in the fourth quarter when uh, it was not it was not good. In fact, I was talking to uh, Kale Chenard, who was going crazy on Twitter. Uh, to be fair, uh, Fox.com. I'm a big fan of Kale, and I think he, I'm going to try to have him on the podcast pretty soon. Actually, uh, I love I love his work. He's a very smart guy, and uh, he's sort of the authority on moving screens. So um, the fact that Marcin Gortat was able to sort of carry guys around the court in the final minutes was not sitting well with him or the fan base, and it's easy to see why. I'll be interested to see what the last two minutes report uh, uncovers from the from the NBA after this game, although it doesn't really matter necessarily. It's just one of, those, one of those things that kind of frustrates you more than anything, but we'll keep an eye on that. But, uh, you know, some officiating stuff that did not go the Hawks way down the stretch, but in general, I thought Paul was uh, pretty good here. Uh, the third leading scorer in this game was Tim, was Tim Hardaway Jr., which means you would assume that he played well, but I would argue that he certainly did not play well in this game. 15 points for Tim, uh, but only only uh, only 6 of 18 from the floor. Uh, needing 18, 18 shot attempts to get to 15 points is not good. I mentioned the 3 of 10 from 3 earlier. Um, you know, Tim is a guy who can score, and we saw in that little brief stretch in the third quarter that I mentioned before that uh, he can heat he can heat up in a hurry. This is one of the reasons why I think he profiles best as a bench player moving forward in an ideal scenario, because I think he is a a guy when he's not scoring, he's not going to bring it a whole lot to the table. And that's guy, that's, a, that's probably a guy that you want in a more traditional, you know, sixth, seventh man role. Uh, defensively, I didn't think he was awful by his standards, but uh, there's still scenarios where you see him getting beat up um, by, by Bradley Beal, and there's no shame in that because Bradley Beal is a lot better than Tim Hardaway Jr. That's sort of just the nature of this. You know, Beal's a top, you know, 30, 40 player in the NBA. He's very, very good at basketball, so there's no shame in losing that matchup. But uh, needing 18 shots to get to 15 points is not 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 great for a guy who you really need his offense in this series, and uh, it's been a struggle for five games for Tim. Uh, Torian Prince did not have the best game of his, of, his, of his series, although I would argue he played reasonably well. 10 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. Had some moments in this game. Also had a couple moments where he, where he actually seemed like a rookie for the first time in a while. But I you know, I thought Torian in general is the guy that needs to be on the court for the Hawks. He's been the best wing for Atlanta in this series, top to bottom, which is a crazy thing to say for a playoff team uh, that's going to be going at least 6 games in the first round. But uh, Torian's been the best wing in this series for Atlanta. And uh, 32, 32 minutes here, I had no beef with that whatsoever. I didn't, again, I didn't think he played quite as well as he did in Atlanta. 
Atlanta, which is to be expected for a rookie on the road in the playoffs. But uh, he was playable, and his defense uh, is, was certainly better than Hardaway Jr.'s, and I would argue probably as good as Baysmore's or better in this game as well. Um, at center, Dwight Howard, uh, sort of an, an anonymous game for Dwight in some ways. Uh, five points and ten rebounds in 28 minutes. Did not play a ton in the fourth quarter, put it less than two minutes in the entire fourth quarter. Uh, I, I, I thought this is sort of fitting, especially after rewatching uh, Geralis Vargaris. If you're not familiar with his work, he's a, uh, a uh, he might even be retired, but a, a high stakes NBA better that's sort of a, a, a Twitter legend. One of the smartest NBA guys around was tweeting about this after the game, and he tweeted about Dwight moving, and I quote, moving like the Tin Man in transition, and uh, actually provided this stat that I thought uh, jumped off the page in a serious way. Um, the Wizards scored 1.63 points per per possession that started with a defensive rebound uh, during the time that Howard's on the floor. Basically, all that means is that Washington was able to get out and run when the Hawks did not score and that Howard could uh, not just jog back in transition. Uh, you know, I think Dwight, again, he played he played very well at times uh, in Atlanta. There was, no, there was no question about that. I talked about that extensively, both with Jeff Siegel and by myself in the last two podcasts, but this was not, this was not that. Uh, there was a couple moments early on the first quarter when Dwight was really sort of flying around and it looked like the same guy, but I think you know this is me guessing, but I think he might not have been feeling his best, especially in the second in the second half of this game. I thought Dwight's uh, movement was very very limited. Um, some of that is by design, and some of that is about him dropping and pick and roll and all that stuff. But he looked even even slower, more plodding than he has in the recent past. And I'm wondering if he's banged up a little bit or just was worn out or something like that. But. Uh, Howard, you know the the moment the stuff the stuff that drives me crazy about him uh, playing too deep in the pick and roll was about, uh, I've sort of uh, litigated at this point in time and offensively he was not as big of a threat here as he was in Game Four. But there was some question about why uh, Howard was not playing down the stretch in favor of Muscala, who I didn't think played great either. We'll get to him in a second. Um, I was okay with it given the fact that Dwight just couldn't move, and I think Bud probably recognized that. And offensively, he talked about this actually after the game. Um, offensively, he felt like they needed to be able to create offense, and without, without Dwight without Dwight on the court, the Hawks just play more. Free flowing, but uh, I was okay with people asking the question in this spot. Uh, I've been sort of demonstrative at times about the Hawks being better without him. And look, I mean, they were they were he was minus four in this game, and the Hawks lost by four points. So whatever, what, that doesn't really mean much to me, but worth noting since I usually uh, note, note, the, note the plus minuses that that happened in this spot. But I think Dwight, um, it was not an F game by any means. It was not an A game either. He was somewhere in the middle and sort of anonymous game. But you know, the five fouls probably also contributed to things as well. He might have played a little bit more in, the, in that second half had he not been in foul trouble, but uh, it's sort of a sort of a C game for Dwight. You know, they probably need a little bit more than that to be able to win on the road against a team that's better than them. But something to keep an eye on moving forward was his health and his explosiveness because he he did not look good physically in that second half, and it's, that's not even an effort thing. It was just the way that he was moving was was concerning to me. Uh, on the bench. Um, not a ton to talk about in a positive way. Kent Bazemore came back to earth after a great game four. Uh, he was very, very bad in this game. Uh, three of 12 from the floor, th- 0 of 5 from three. He just missed a ton of open shots, and uh, you know, that's something that's going to happen even to the best of shooters, but uh, Kent's been so un- un- inconsistent this season with his jumper, and this is a spot where uh, it's sort of maddening. I understood fans being frustrated with Kent uh, during this game because of this, the, just the, the open nature of his shots and how badly they were missing. Um, I thought defensively he was not awful. Like uh, I think it was Brett Legree on, on Twitter during the game referenced that sort of would you rather have um, you know a guy that take that, that needed 18 shots to score 15 points with with really bad defense or a guy that needed uh, 12 shots to score six points with average defense and that was of course uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. against Kent Bazemore uh, alongside Torian Prince. There's nothing you can really do either way there. I, I don't think either guy played well at all and uh, you know Kent's offense was bad. His defense is obviously much better than Hardaway's, but um, this is a spot where you needed one more wing that was uh, playing well and the Hawks didn't have that guy alongside Torian Prince. 
Um, elsewhere, uh, the other five guys that played were all sort of uh, in bit roles. Mike Muscala played the most, 16 minutes, four points, two rebounds. Had, had a nice uh, one-foot uh, sort of Dirk fadeaway that, I, that made everybody laugh in the second half. Uh, it was two of two from the floor, had two rebounds, 16 minutes. Uh, there were some rebounding issues um, with Muscala on the court and with Gortat kind of beating him up physically. That's kind of what you expect from Muscala. He does provide you with more offense, more spacing, more athleticism in the front court. But uh, you, do, you, do, you do, of course, give up the rebounding, and we saw that on a couple of occasions. I thought, I thought Muscala was fine here. Um, there was nothing, nothing that he did awful except for except for rebounding. I thought he he did. He does bring some stuff to the table, but you don't want him playing a ton of minutes. And the Hawks sort of managed that. I think he played a little bit more because of the fact that Ursula and Sova did not look good at all here. Nine minutes from Ursula, one of six from the floor, missed a couple of just easy bunnies around the rim. Did not look to be fully healthy. Uh, he was of course listed as a uh, as probable for Game Four, I believe it was, with a, with, a, with a calf issue. There was no there's no no reason to think he wasn't going to play, but I think it's pretty clear that he's not 100 percent necessarily um, physically, and uh, that sort of manifested itself here. I mentioned a couple times in this series that I'd like to see Ilyasova play over Muscala at times, but given the way that, that both guys played here, I was okay going with Muscala if it was not going to be Howard. In that fourth quarter, and uh, I was definitely okay with that. In the backcourt, um, Mike Dunleavy, 12 minutes, 5 points. Uh, at least he made a shot in this game. Uh, I still continue to think that I, I just don't I don't understand why he's playing, except for the fact that he provides spacing, but uh, we've litigated that already. Uh, Jose Calderon came back to the earth as well, as, alongside Kent Bazemore, with a, a, a much more Jose Calderon performance, uh, minus 7, 2 points, 2 rebounds, and an assist in 10 minutes. He was not awful, but the, the defensively, you can just see um, all the issues that you have when he's not playing out of his mind. Offensively, like he was in Game 4, it becomes an issue in a uh, larger dose. And uh, finally, Tabo Cephalosha, Played the played one stint. It was the Mario West defensive only, less than a minute stint. Uh, I just you know I I want to rant I want to rant about it again, but it's game five. Uh, I give it up on Tabo playing in the series. Even even the Hawks local broadcast with Mike Glenn at halftime talking about how kind of uh, hoping for some cephalotion in the second half. It's just not going to happen in the series, barring injury. Uh, I've come to that conclusion at this point in time, and uh, we can argue about that all summer long. But uh, there you go. Um, with all that said. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Of course, the Hawks do have a uh, an uphill battle, as I mentioned at the top. They have there will be a, a huge underdog now. Of course, I mentioned uh, coming in to the night uh, on yesterday's podcast that if the Hawks lost, they'd probably be somewhere in the ten percent range to win the final two games of the series. Uh, Five thirty eight actually makes them in a fifteen percent chance, so that's a little bit higher than I thought. It was eighty five percent for the Wizards uh, after this game was completed. So for for whatever that's worth to you, um, I think the Hawks can uh, absolutely win at home in Game Six, and given the way that. Uh, this game was so close in Washington. You know, it's not a situation where the Hawks are a massive underdog in both games. Is that you have to string both of them together, and uh, winning a Game Seven on the road in, in that environment won't be easy. You know, Washington's crowd is much maligned, but um, for Game Sevens, things usually ratchet up quite a bit, and uh, that that means a lot of uh, a lot of death for the home team. I mean, for the road team usually, especially if the road team is inferior. And I think uh, we can probably agree that across the board, the Hawks are not quite as good as the as the Wizards are. So we'll keep an eye on that moving forward, and we'll, we'll of course be back on Friday to sort of preview the festival festivities as well as uh, sort of foreshadow a potential end of the series. And if not, of course, we'll still be here after the series. I'm not going away um, for a while after the series. There's plenty to get to after the, after the postseason is over. But there's still life for the Hawks. We'll see what happens in Game 6 and then hopefully Game 7 after that. Uh, thanks for listening as always, everybody. Uh, we'll, break, we'll break down the game a little bit further tomorrow with hopefully with a guest. If not, you'll be stuck with me. And uh, until then, stay tuned.